The web's Michael Smith. It's episode 69 of the Canes cast. Nice. Yes, it is. Oh, it's, I, you to know, make it to this number is always nice. It's, it's always nice. I'm so glad we made it, too. So am I. And I hope all the listeners are as well. I hope they enjoy yeah. this episode uh, as much as they've enjoyed the first 68 because we've enjoyed making them all uh, for everybody. Absolutely. So enjoy number 69 as Michael Smith and I jump into this one for the Carolina Hurricanes where, uh, as the recording of this, the Hurricanes have 30 points, 13, 11, and 4. There's lots of good. There's some very, very questionable things that we need to look at with this team at this point, 28 games into the season. But coming back from the West Coast, Michael, could have been a disastrous trip being shut out by the Kings, a game that we talked about on episode 68. But then you go up to San Jose where maybe, just maybe, the Sharks are finding it, the team that everybody expected to go 82-0 and when they traded for Eric Carlson and they were going to be great. Well, they're starting to round into form. And then you head down to Anaheim, a team that, yes, it was a fluky goal in the third period that forced it to overtime here in PNC a week earlier. But you're thinking, man, a beat-up Carolina Hurricanes team. Jordan Stahl out with a concussion as it was diagnosed on that trip. Michael Furland didn't even make the trip out with a concussion. Curtis McElhaney tweaks a lower body injury. You're going into Anaheim. All of the chips are stacked against you. And the Canes, maybe their grittiest performance of the year come out with a big win doesn't salvage the road trip because I really think if you would have won in LA and won in Anaheim bookends and if San Jose happens sure so be it yeah but at least that was a gut check performance for a lot of players in a, in a Canes uniform and they came up a plus as they got the win against Anaheim and now we get ready for a big week where Le Habitant du Montreal, oh, and uh, Austin Ooh. Matthews and the Toronto Maple Leafs Who? are on the schedule. Yeah, oh. exactly. Just a, <laughs> a team right now. And some other guy, too. Yeah, Toronto has 41 points. In, well, no, now that he's signed, we don't need to talk about oh, okay. him anymore, do we? <laughs> I was right? just making sure. That was the only thing that people were talking yeah. about. So, Nylander, watch, is over. He'll be here. You can watch him play hockey. But, yeah, yeah the 41-point uh, Toronto Maple Leafs will be in town, and then the Canes go take a trip. Back to Montreal, where we were, what, just about two weeks ago? Yeah, and Toronto was here just about two, two weeks, weeks ago, ago, too. Yeah. And then from Montreal, come back and play the Washington Capitals the next night here at PNC Arena. And they believe, I haven't checked their schedule, but I'm pretty sure they are waiting on the Hurricanes. They don't play on Thursday night like the Hurricanes do in Montreal. So uh, that'll be a tough back-to-back -to -back test for the Hurricanes coming off that 7.30 start in Montreal, travel back uh, to Raleigh to face uh, the Washington Capitals, the defending Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals here on Friday night yeah. at 7.30. In, in fact, the Washington Capitals will have two days off. They will have played on uh, Tuesday, December 11th against Detroit, and then they will be off the 12th and 13th and then play here in Carolina. That, that's a stiff test, and one where – uh, you, you might need um, both of your goaltenders, yeah. which uh, at the current uh, situation we have now is is Peter Mrazek and Scott Darling because, as you mentioned, uh, Curtis McElhaney tweaking a, a lower body injury there in practice on Thursday in Anaheim. Don't anticipate him being out for too long, yep. but didn't practice today. And you look ahead, and there's not much practice time. There's only the no. one practice day on Wednesday before uh, you get back into game action again. So uh, it might be an, uh, a situation where you need both Mrazek and Darling. But uh, that's that getting ahead of ourselves yeah. a little bit. We'll we'll backtrack a little before 
before getting to that. And you mentioned the, the game in Anaheim on Friday. Really not salvaging the road trip, but at least punctuating it uh, with two points before heading back east uh, that night. And as you called it, a, a real just gritty effort. The Hurricanes needed certain players to, to step up, um, especially in the absence of Jordan Stahl, yes. moving Sebastian Ajo back to the middle. They needed him to step up, and he did in a big way. Yeah. They were going to need contributions from everybody, and they get a goal from Clark Bishop. They get a goal from Brett Pesci. Not just a goal from Clark Bishop. His first NHL goal that took five minutes to yes. be declared a goal. Yeah, and we'll talk uh, more with him about that in a bit. He he joins us on this episode of Kane's Cast, episode 69. Nice. Uh, so we'll we'll get his thoughts on, on that whole thing and, and the uni- uniqueness of it. But you kind of felt like for a team that hadn't scored many goals uh, before that, had only scored, what, uh, two goals in the three games prior, yeah. that they were going to need a goal like that to maybe get them going a little bit. And he scores that goal. Brett Pesci scores a goal. Justin Williams scores a simple goal where he's just at the front of the net uh, and is able to bang in a rebound. And then Sebastian Ajo comes through late with the empty net goal to, to seal the victory. It was going to take that all hands on deck, complete team performance yep. for the Hurricanes to get the win in Anaheim against a team that had won five straight games coming into that. Uh, which includes the victory they had here, the overtime victory they had here just a week prior. It was yeah. going to take that type of effort, and the Hurricanes, down one nothing in the first period, could have easily just folded it right up and looked to, look to coming back here, but they didn't. And to their credit, like Clark Bishop told us postgame, this is a team that, that doesn't quit, and we've seen it time and time again this season where this team may be down, but they're never out. They're never out of it. Uh, they always come to the rink uh, with the same attitude, the attitude of, uh, of getting better every day. And they were able to dig deep in that game, come out in the second period, and win that period, win the third period, and, and win the game. And that was, yep. that was a good way to end what had not been a great road trip before that. No, it was – Quite honestly, a, a most frustrating road trip for the Carolina Hurricanes. And uh, I don't just want to dwell on the, the one positive, which was the Anaheim game. Uh, I want to, I think we need to put a spotlight on something that was a little bit problematic. It wasn't, Michael, just the fact that the Carolina Hurricanes had scored two goals in their previous three games. They had scored five goals total in their previous five games. Right. That's a goal a game. Yeah. By the way, somewhere in there, they got a win when they beat Montreal 2-1. to one in Montreal on November 27th. But you run into that Anaheim game. You don't have Jordan Stahl. And I know that there is uh, a lot of of people who will say, well, what does Jordan Stahl bring to the party? You know, Because we still look at goals. We still look at assists. And that's what 80% of, of players are judged on, and that's fine. And then there's the fancy stats where I would figure metrics people love Jordan Stahl. Yeah. From possession to face-off wins to just what he does on the on the penalty kill. Limiting you know. the opponent's chances for sure. And that's the other thing. The other night, you know, when you talk about what a guy like Jordan Stahl can do, you don't hear from the other team's big players when Jordan Stahl is on the ice. Rarely do you hear it when his line is on the ice and he's going head-to-head and he's a big body and he's tough to play against. Well, well you, you look at what he did to Getzlaff's line here a yeah. week ago. They didn't do anything for, for three periods until yeah, he got on the ice in overtime against 
three players who, who weren't Jordan Stahl yeah. uh, for Carolina and was able to break free. So uh, for all for that entire 60 minutes, Jordan Stahl's line shut down that top-performing yeah. line for Anaheim. Look, and I get that people want to say number one center, number one center, and, and put all of the numbers here. That That's not – and I, I get how we look at sports today now. Believe me, because, you know, my previous job, this is what I did. But it's one of those things where – I don't think people see the other value because it's not something that's tangible or sexy or fun to watch during the course of the game. And that goes to the value that Jordan Stahl brings to the table. Now you go into Anaheim, and Rod Brindamore kind of told us before the game they weren't going to win many face-offs against a really good Ducks team, which, by the way, week before they did, Jordan Stahl taking the draws, mm -hmm. they lost about 60% of the draws in that game. I think it was 60-40 in the percentage but that meant you had to be hard on pucks. That meant you had to be getting to the spaces you needed to do. I think the blue line, the back six, might have been their best game as a whole with what they did together, and they dug down and, and found a win. And Sebastian Ajo played big minutes for the Carolina Hurricanes. That might have been his best all-around game. Yeah, and we'll talk about that, but you mentioned the back end and, and maybe that being their best game. And, and that, too, came up earlier in the week about – getting contributions, offensive contributions from the blue line. And it's a guy in Brett Pesci who is just returning from uh, an injury that had kept him out for, what, nine games, I think yeah. it was, uh, jumping into the play, just a simple shot, and he scores his third goal of the year. And uh, for a team that Three has struggled – for Brett Pesci already this right, season. And for a team that has struggled to score in recent weeks – they need everybody to contribute, and that includes the back end. So so seeing that sort of contribution, Brett Pesci game-winning yeah. goal, by the way, uh, uh, was very important to, to that victory. Yeah, and, and look, everybody wants the consistency from this team where they're scoring four goals a game. Look, if you're a team in this league and you're scoring four goals a game, you're a playoff team, you're going to get there. That's just not how the majority of these games are played, but – I don't I don't want the, the schizophrenic swings from this team where, you know, the two games prior to the five and five, you know, they scored nine, nine and goals. two. Yeah, exactly. So you, you got to find some kind of happy medium where you can get just a consistent offensive level. And look, this is what the Canes need to do to score goals. And that means they're going to fling a lot of pucks on net. They're going to try to get high traffic chances. They're going to get to the high area scoring zones. Now you just got to find some guys who can finish a little bit more. And, and maybe they're maybe they're doing that or. It's the other side of it where it's just greasy. You need greasy, bounces, fluky stuff. I mean, let's go back to the Anaheim game a week ago in Raleigh. Canes are going to shut that team out. Puck bounces off of Calvin DeHaan's head. One of the weirder things you're going to see. And then it gets batted out of the air. And there's your game tying goal. And then we go to overtime. We know how it plays out. That is the funny thing about this league now, Michael. That's how games are turned. That's how they change. And I think that's how the Anaheim game was changed on the Clark Bishop goal. Yeah, where Clark Bishop, there was nothing highlight real about it from the onset other than he was making a good hard hockey play, driving to the front of the net, trying to get there with the puck and make something happen. And you know what? Clark Bishop did make something happen. And right now, we'll find out what it's like to score your first NHL goal. All right, we're here with uh, Clark Bishop, who scored his uh, first NHL goal on Friday night in Anaheim. Clark, fresh off the first NHL goal, how are you feeling? Pretty good. I mean, I've gotten uh, lots of texts and support from family and friends and uh, a lot of comments. I mean, obviously it wasn't the prettiest goal for a first NHL goal, but you know what? It, they all count, and it was, it was pretty fun, just the, all, the whole experience of it, waiting and 
and the suspense of everything it was it was pretty cool honestly was uh, the family watching live back oh, home yeah my mom and my dad and all my family members were watching back home uh, I even got a text uh, saying, you know, I was about to fall asleep uh, after the first, but glad I stayed up for the for the second. So, uh, you know, it's been just tremendous support from all my family and friends. What does it do for your confidence? And, of course, you know, 20 years from now, it's a highlight reel goal, but, you know, just to get the first one out of the way and you don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think when you first come up in the NHL, you're, it's always in the back of your mind. You know, it's something that you try not to think about is your points. And... You know, like I said, something in your back of your mind. And once you get that out of the way, it's, I think it uh, it clears your mind a little bit and gives you a little bit of confidence going forward. On that play, what did you see? I mean, because you put your shoulder down on, on Hampus Lindholm to drive the net. What was your uh, view of the ice as, as you were skating down? Uh, the puck just bounced out there in our zone. And I when I turned around, I seen him coming towards me, but I felt like I had a bit of a a step on him so I decided to take it to the net because I knew there wasn't anyone behind him so I just kind of put my shoulder down and, and drove the net and he took me down and I guess uh, by looking at the video the, the puck just kind of got caught on my skate and uh, just crossed the line there so it was all good. What are your thoughts when you're when you're sitting there on the ice the referee comes over blowing the play dead what's going through your mind because I, I, I don't think you knew that that it was a goal I don't think anybody knew it was a goal just yet. No uh, I didn't know it went in honestly at first uh, just when the net came off and the ref came over and said, uh, you know, if the, if the net didn't come off, then I, ha I have a good goal. i got to go check this. So I kind of started getting pretty excited then. When you uh, get the confirmation, the guys on the bench, uh, they had big smiles, but also some water bottles thrown your way. I mean, is that the new traditional uh, celebration for your first goal in the, the league? You're yeah, going to get squirted? I mean, I guess so, but uh, it, was, it was folks who squirted me with a water bottle. So, you know, we, uh, we played together all year in Charlotte last year. We're pretty close and uh, played on a line together and stuff like that. So uh, he, he was pretty happy for me. So he gave me a little bit of a water squirt there. But, you know, I, I think everyone was pretty happy. It's something that... Everyone on your team is happy when someone scores their first first goal. For you, how much more comfortable are you? This is your third call-up, but it just seems that this really is settled in for you, that the game is, is playing at the speed that you're playing at in the AHL. Yeah, uh, you know, I think first coming up, you you need that time to kind of feel comfortable and, and get used to all your new teammates, some guys that you haven't been playing with uh, in forever, really. But, uh, you know, once you get more comfortable and feel comfortable with the guys, uh, it helps on the ice and off the ice with your confidence and coming to the rink and stuff like that. What are you going to do with the uh, the puck now? I don't know. I think uh, they're, they're going to frame it, and I'll have to find a spot back home to, to hang it up. Yeah, that's, that's a keeper for sure. Yeah. Uh, talking more generally about just that game and the win, how big was it for the team to get one in the win column after what had been sort of a tough road trip? Yes, yeah. uh, we, we, we went on a long road trip there. I mean, long plate, plane ride over west, and, uh, you know, it's it's sometimes it's tough to – to bounce right away. I mean, I thought we had played a really good game in LA. You know, unfortunate uh, goal like late in the game, it happens. Uh, but I think one thing about us is that we don't give up. It's like if we're down a goal or, or up two, everyone has the same mindset all the time, and we're just go, go, go. Being a coach's son, how much does that help you with a mindset? Because you know the prep that goes into it. You played for it. You played for your dad. Does that get you through sometimes when things aren't right, or do you maybe think? All right, I know what the coach wants out of me. I just got to put my head down and go and do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, my dad doesn't put any pressure on me or anything like that. And, of course, he was a coach, so he knows the game pretty well. Uh, you know, he gives me some pointers and doesn't try to, like, coach me or anything like that. I, I kind of tell him what the coach has been saying and stuff like that, too. So, I mean, he has his uh, 
his talks with me and, and uh, what he thinks about the game and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think it helps uh, a lot, like, growing up and, and being a pro and stuff like that. I mean, I think he never reached the pro level, but, uh, you know, when, when I came, became pro, he watched all the games. I think he's, it's almost like he's kind of been there with me, like, learning the same amount as what I have. With Rod Brindamore being a first-year head coach, what do you like about playing for a guy like Rod? No, I think uh, he's just straightforward with you. Uh, you know, he doesn't take anything too – like, he doesn't get too serious about stuff, but he, he likes the hard work, and, and I think that's what everyone does here. They, they come and uh, work hard every day. What's it been like seeing, you know, some of your teammates uh, come up this year and a guy like Saku Manilainen or uh, even Warren Fogle, a guy you've played with, what's it been like getting to experience this alongside them this year? I mean, it's it's good. Like I said, I played with Fogues all year last year, and to see him uh, make the team out of camp, it was it was really good. I was happy for him, and to see guys come up here and play, I mean, it's you know, it's every. I think you're rooting for everyone once you play with them to to make it to the next level. I mean, that's what everyone is here to do. So I think it's uh, it's really great. All right, we've got to figure out who did this. Who a door was broken at RCI today. A puck clearly went through it. Who's the guilty party? I. Honestly, do not know because I was still in here getting dressed, so I did not see it happen. I can't say. Um, as reporters, it's our job to ask that. But, Clark, can you tell Michael Smith, even if you did know, it's your job not to let us know who did that, right? Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I don't think. I don't think it's my place to say. <laughs> Same time, how is this room to be in? I mean, you, you've been in a bunch coming up. You know how important it is to – not everybody has to love every, everybody, but it's good to come to a locker room where everybody gets along. That seems to be this locker room where even in you know a couple of losses, the, the room doesn't get too down. How important mm -hmm. is that? I, I think it's, it's really important. I mean, if everyone has the same mindset here, everything can go a lot more smoothly. Uh, you know, it, it only takes a, like a couple of guys to just uh, be down and it kind of changes the mood of the locker room. But I don't think that happens here. I mean, I've been up here now a few times and I can just see that everyone's just thinking the same way. And, and everyone, like I said, comes to the rink every day wanting to work and get better. Clark, congratulations on your first NHL goal. I'd ask you how much did you sleep, but seeing we flew back from the West Coast, I know the answer was very little for yeah. lots of reasons on that, but congratulations. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Good talking with uh, Clark Bishop, who, uh, you know, just taken overall, even if he doesn't score that goal, that's his best game as a Hurricane. Well, you know, the funny thing about it, Rod Brindamore came out after the Kings game. That fourth line played a lot of minutes against L.A., and Rod Brindamore – singled out the Clark Bishop line. He goes, oh, that was our best line. That's why we had to play him. That's why I was bumping him up, if you were noticing. And yep. they were getting the minutes. And, you know, for Clark Bishop, he's getting comfortable here. You know, that's the, the key. Once you can settle in, once you know you can play at this level, know your role, know what you can do. And that's kind of the thing that I liked when I asked him about, he's a coach's son. So you go from right. that, well, how do you deal with a new head coach in Rod Brindamore, a guy who hasn't been there? And he just says how he talks to us. You know, he, he's – not one of these guys. Rod Brindamore is not going to, if a guy makes a mistake, just single him out and embarrass him in front of the room. You know why? Because Rod Brindamore has been there and he's understood it. He's going to give you an opportunity to make a play and make this team. And I think that that's something that when it's going good, the players on this team all appreciate it. When it's going bad, that's when they really appreciate it because right. they know that they're not going to be tied down to the bench for three minutes in a game they know that they're going to get at least some opportunities to go make a play but you know we go back to that whole california trip you know that, that king's game i think that that points out some of the deficiencies offensively that the carolina hurricanes have now tip your cap to jonathan quick he is a yeah. win right and he hadn't won coming into that game but he'd yeah. been injured the majority of the season right. i think he was 0-4-1 coming into it but 
my goodness, that was vintage quick. And that was a, a goaltender's duel between him and Peter Morazic. And, oh, don't look now, uh, Michael, but now Peter Morazic seems to be getting hot for the Carolina Hurricanes. And that comes at the right time with Curtis McElhaney sidelined for a little bit, not on the injured list, but with that lower body situation. Yeah, McElhaney didn't practice Monday. It was Morazic and Darling on the ice at Raleigh Center Ice. A snowy day in Raleigh. I'm sure you guys... Uh, listeners, local listeners at least, have experienced some wintry weather in one form or the other. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, now it's a, it's a matter of, of, of Curtis McElhaney uh, feeling more comfortable before he can get back onto the ice. But it, it's been a tough go for the Hurricanes goaltenders when you look at just all the injuries that have uh, rotated throughout those three this season. But now you have a guy in Peter Morazic who looks to be – playing at the top of his game yep. right now. He, he was he was great in L.A., tough luck loss, really tough luck loss. And he was great in Anaheim, too, yeah. um, just allowing that one goal, uh, giving his team a chance to, to really just get back into the game and and obviously uh, end up with the, with the W. And the Hurricanes are going to need him. The Hurricanes, it, it's been good that whenever somebody has, has gotten hurt, They've had somebody step up and take their place, and that's that's the sign of um, that's the sign of good depth. That that when somebody goes down, it can be that next man up opportunity. And for Peter Peter Mrazek, who missed about what a month's worth of time yeah. uh, with his injury, is, is now going to get regular work as Curtis McElhaney works his way back from injury. It was almost a calendar month because he got injured in the Arizona game that he played, the yes. overtime loss in Arizona, and then his Return to the ice was December 2nd against the L.A. Kings. So, yeah. so then you talk about another next man up opportunity, and we mentioned this earlier with Sebastian Ajo sliding back into the middle uh, in Jordan Stahl's absence. And he logged the most minutes of any forward in Anaheim. Uh, even though the Hurricanes lost the battle in the circle, he was 61%. Um, he played power play. He played penalty kill. Yep. And that's a guy who hasn't, played regular minutes on the penalty kill before he said he's been in meetings but he hasn't he's not been relied upon and when the hurricanes were down two men in the third period with a lead he was first over the boards him jacob slave and brett pesci were the three that successfully killed off that two-man disadvantage and then killed the rest of that calvin dehan minor penalty to to preserve the lead and they did it you would have thought sebastian ajo had been on the penalty kill his whole career pretty much he he took that opportunity uh and and did phenomenally 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 you had it you had it right the second time you had it right my voice is not hopefully it doesn't come off too bad on the on the podcast but um but he played one of his best games of the season and i think now it's a situation where i would imagine the coaching staff might look at keeping him in the middle, even after Jordan Stahl yeah. returns, because I think he's played his best hockey this year in the middle. I think him on the wing just hasn't been as good as, as him in the middle. I think he takes being in the middle as, as a challenge to elevate yep. his game, and when he's faced with a challenge like that, he rises to it. Yeah, well, he definitely rose to that occasion. It is episode 69 of the Canes cast, nice. and there's a lot to, to dive into for – how Sebastian Ajo played in that game. As you saw, the fourth line and Clark Bishop emerge, what the defense did. Yes, Peter Mrazek in his play. And you're right about the good fortune. But there's something 
Michael about I want to revisit Sebastian Ajo on the penalty kill, and this has always been my belief. And let me know where you stand on this. So if you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. But I want my best players on the ice as much as possible. Yes. So uh, to to wit and ask that, I would put Sebastian Ajo on the penalty kill a little bit more from here on out. So do you think, or would you in this situation? put Sebastian Ajo on the PK more than what we've seen in the first 28 games. Yeah, I would take it. I would take it because I think what he showed you in that Anaheim game is that he's capable of, of being that player. And the challenge, I think, for, for Rod Brennamore and the coaching staff, putting him in the middle early on was, was he defensively ready to handle the, the challenges of the 200-foot game? And I think there might have been some question marks, but I think overall – uh, I think he's proven his his readiness and his worth uh, at his natural position of center. And so, yeah, when, look, looking forward, you know you have a guy in Jordan Stahl who's going to kill a lot of penalties. When he's healthy, when he's going, he's he's your penalty killer. You've got Jordan Martinook. You've got Warren Fogle, who have both, I think, formed a, a nice pair on that penalty kill. And But now if you can have a guy in Sebastian Ajo emerge as as one of those elite penalty killers that just gives you another weapon so I would can you know the fact that he succeeded in in doing it so well in Anaheim I would keep throwing him over the boards because he's only going to get better by continually doing it well you kind of hit what I drive at with that point as well which is for a team that struggles to score goals I want to put my best offensive players on the ice as much as I can and on the penalty kill well, you'd think, well, wouldn't that put them at a disadvantage? You know, sometimes on the penalty kill, what happens? You get a team a little over-aggressive, and it leads to how many times this year have we seen shorthanded chances for the Carolina Hurricanes? I mean, heck, the Arizona Coyotes, if they didn't go shorthanded, I don't know when they score. Like, yeah. that's how that works. But you put a player like Sebastian Ajo on the ice, and you give him the opportunity to say somebody chips a puck out or a shot doesn't go through and it kicks out to go after it and get a breakaway – I like the odds that something really good is going to happen for the Canes the other end. And I'm always, I've always been a big believer in that. You put your best players in situations to succeed as much as you can. Now, I'm not saying that Rod Brindamore wasn't doing that because he didn't have faith in, in Sebastian Ajo as a player or what he could do. I think that he didn't want to overload his young center with, well, we want you to do this, the 200-foot game and five-on-five, you got to learn that. Oh, by the way, you're going to be a penalty killer now. Plus, there was a good mix up front with the penalty kill when you've got a few players, especially that, that chemistry between Warren Fogle and Jordan Martinuk that we talked about on the PK and then Jordan Stahl and Brock McGinn are solid, right. solid penalty killers at the front. But you know what you can do now? You can mix in Sebastian Ajo a little bit, or if one of those guys is in the penalty box, Sebastian Ajo can be over the boards being a guy who's one of those killers that you can count on. And maybe it leads to a goal in a big situation for this team. And he won that defensive zone draw, too, off the, the, at the beginning of the five-on-three. And that's, that's incredibly valuable when you have a guy like that. Usually it would probably be Jordan Stahl going over the boards in that situation. But when you have a guy like that in Sebastian Ajo who you can throw over the boards, win that draw, uh, and kill some time, you know, right off the bat. That that's a positive. Yeah, it is. So you're gonna take it. I would ask, but you're under the weather, so I'm guessing you don't have. Yeah, it. no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't thought about it at all. All right. That's all I got. All right. Well, 
Okay. I could I could try to no, think on no, the fly. No, no, you've. But I was involved in your. I was thinking of an answer to your question. No, it's it's fine. Normally, yeah. you should come in and have one of these ready, like I had. The people didn't send one to me this week. I, I was, <laughs> I was behind. Look, man, I've been <laughs> I've been where you're at. When you're under the weather, it's not a hundred uh, not a hundred percent certain you're gonna get uh, get the job done. You need to get to do what you wanted to do. I almost didn't speak English there. <laughs> On episode. I think you made it, though. <laughs> oh, stumbling to the line, which is what I'm good for. Uh, one more thing uh, that we can get to. I, I know we talked about it before, but uh, I was very happy that the only only um, mascot harassment of me oh. was in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you there. escaped Sharky. And uh, Wild Wing or whatever the yeah. Ducks mascot is. So was Sharky was nowhere to be found. No, Sharky. Oh, oh Sharky was, and I crossed paths. He was nearby. Oh, yeah. He was circling the waters. I just I looked at him. I go, "Did you ever see the end of Jaws? Because that's going to happen if you do Did he that." Say anything? Well, he's a mascot. They don't okay, speak. Okay, good. He I just was... he kind of kind of I could tell there was a panic though to it. A little wide eye. Well, he kind of like stepped back. He didn't blink. I bet. Well, no, no, he didn't. Right. Well, you know the thing about a shark's eyes, they're lifeless eyes. Oh, like a doll's yeah. eyes. And then they. Eat and they you. bite you, and then they roll back all white. No, oh, then that horrible high-pitched screaming. Well, I'm glad you escaped glad without I, harm. Glad I got to quote Quint and Jaws right here <laughs> on episode 69 Nice of the Canes cast. You know what else is nice? Uh, Charlotte Checkers and, and Martin Achos especially. Martin Achos being named the CCMAHL. I had to make sure I got all the, the sponsor plugs in there. <laughs> CCMAHL player of You the just week. give up the sponsorship on this show. Well, it's yeah. I feel like I have to. For, the, for that, at least. All right. Um, uh, Martin H.S. Uh, sent down uh, to Charlotte earlier in the season by the Carolina Hurricanes. Played center down there to begin with. Has since moved to the right wing and has since flourished a bit. And he had seven assists yeah, in two games, which is un- unreal. Yeah. Uh, but as Rod Brindamore was saying today, and I can't believe I'm having to explain this, but I am. Uh, it's not solely about the points for him in Charlotte. They sent him down not to be a points producer, but to, to basically just refine his game at this level. And can, I, can I refine your comment? Sure. Not to just be a point producer. Right. The, the, the point production is nice, and Rod Brindamore said as much today. It's nice to see that production, but that's not the, the, the main reason um, that he was sent down to the AHL. He wasn't sent down to say, hey, go produce, and then you'll come back up. It was... Go refine your game. Yep. Uh, learn how to play uh, the game, the North American game, um, and the points. The points were going to come because he's that type of oh, player. He's unbelievably talented. But yeah, this was about learning how to be more responsible defensively in a physical style game. And there's nothing wrong with how the Finnish Elite League or the Swedish Elite League or how any of the leagues over in Europe play. But it's not a physical game over there. It's not. It's more playmaking. It's bigger ice. It's more on the we're going to try to go get points. And defense is stopping people from getting to spots, not playing physical on them. Where North America, smaller rink surface, it's about physical. You've got less time to make plays, and you've got to find a way to be defensively sound. And that was what was happening with Martin Nechas that – it wasn't what he was doing or even the lack of what he was doing offensively in his few games with the Carolina Hurricanes to start the season. It was what he was doing away from the puck where not being in the right spot. And this was a Canes team that head coach Rod Brindamore and the coaching staff figured out early. 
we can't give the other team 15 grade A chances a game and expect to try to win. So this is an opportunity for Martin Natchez to go down to the AHL and do exactly what the head coach wants him to do, refine that part of the game. Because the offense is there. The offense yeah. is going to be there. Uh, we could say that he might be in the organization right now, top to bottom, the most gifted offensive player, meaning how he passes, how he shoots, like the, the total package that way. And that's not a disrespect to anybody here, but just his playmaking ability is very good, and we'll see it on display. But he's got to get the other part of the game in order, and I think he will. I think that's the whole case right now. Yeah, I mean, he's got the potential to be that complete package. And whether we see it here sooner or later – you know, obviously isn't isn't up to us. It's not even up to Rod Brindamore. It's up to, you know, I guess the the front office the management, front off, yeah. the people above him. Um, uh, but you know, we we've said before on this podcast we wouldn't be surprised if we saw him up here, you know, sooner rather than later, just because of what he can provide um, offensively. And yeah. the Hurricanes are a team that could could use some uh, firepower offensively. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, we'll see. We'll. See what the future holds for the Carolina Hurricanes. And, again, just 28 games into the season, if I do my math, there's 54 games left, right? So you sounds play 82. Right. That sounds right. I know there'd be no math, but, you know, what are you going to do? Sometimes there is. Especially on this show. Yes. We do what we can. Uh, I just take a, a deeper dive into the Carolina Hurricanes in the offense where it has to come from. And I think we saw it again against Anaheim. It's got to be everybody. It's not just one guy. And, you know, there's some people that if you, you talk to about this Canes team, oh, this guy's top-end talent and there's top-end talent. But they are more dangerous as a collective. And they have been for a few years now, Michael, which is the nights where they roll all four lines and can play all four lines, even if it's a close game, they're a better team than the night when the, the coaching staff has to go, okay, we're going to run two lines and maybe a third. When you get into those nights, you're in trouble for right. the Carolina Hurricanes. Right. So they need to be able to put all four lines out there. And I think going back to our guest on this episode of Canes Cast, Clark Bishop, that's been the really nice thing the last three games, which is that line, uh, save San Jose where nobody had a good game really. Yeah, I mean, we but, can just write that one off. But, you know, since his third call-up, he's, he's gotten – much, much more comfortable in this role. That line has been noticeable in good ways, not just being a grinder kind of line or being an energy line, but getting good scoring chances. And it's always good to see somebody get rewarded and get that first goal. And the Hurricanes are going to get um, a boost to their lineup, it appears, tomorrow with Michael Furland uh, coming off uh, the shelf from a concussion. Obviously, he did not travel uh, with the team out west last week, but he has since been activated from injured reserve. Uh, uh, practice with the team today uh, at Raleigh Center Ice. And I, I believe was on the fourth line. Uh, again, not to assign numbers or anything, but I think he might be eased back in mm -hmm. just as you look at some other players returning from injury have been. But he's going to be a big boost to the Hurricanes lineup because he's the team's leading goal scorer. Yep. He can finish when he gets the puck around the net. And the other thing that it does when you take a player – off of a line, and we'll call Sebastian Ajo centering Michael Ferlin and Tavo Teravine in the top line, what that does is it moves other lines out of position. It moves guys up. It slots guys down. It moves guys over to the wing like we saw with Sebastian Ajo. Michael Ferlin coming back, puts the top line together, and then right now you've got Victor Rask in the middle, Lucas Walmark in the middle, 
and then Clark Bishop in the middle while you're waiting for Jordan Stahl to come back from a concussion, which there is no timetable that is set for those things. I, I, I really, and I know you're the same way, Michael, when we get people who send us emails, Twitter questions, whatever, hey, what's the, the update? Concussion really truly is the one thing where when you say you don't know, you don't know because a player can have three great days, three days where he feels fine, runs, works out, goes through a, an entire workout with Bill Berniston, feels great, but then the next morning gets out of bed too fast and he's actually back to where he started from. Yeah, and I'm not I, – I, I went back and watched the last few shifts that Furland played uh, in the game. Was it here against Anaheim where um, – and I didn't see – or maybe it was the game before – uh, in any case, I, I think it was the game. It was the uh, the game in Montreal yeah. uh, was when uh, he didn't play after that with a concussion. I didn't see anything. Usually, there's uh, like when Hayden Fleury indicator got concussed. You know, there was that hit in the neutral zone from Troy Brower. Pretty clear that Fleury was dazed and and concussed from that singular hit. I don't think that was the case with Michael Furland here. It's just that okay after the game maybe the next day he just doesn't feel right and that's when the the symptoms present themselves so that's how that's how unpredictable these things are i think the same thing with jordan stall i'd have to go back and see if there was if there was a, a certain hit or a certain play or anything but it's just a, a state of just not feeling right that can happen at any time it can disappear at any time it can reappear at any time so these things are completely unpredictable but the fact that Furlan now is feeling yeah he didn't play that game against Anaheim here so. okay so uh, and there just didn't seem to be uh, an indicator on his last few shifts you know there wasn't a big hit there wasn't a, there there was hardly any contact at all so it might have been a case where he had been hit uh, earlier in the game or a game prior and it just it had the symptoms had not presented yep. themselves so these things are just entirely unpredictable but the fact that he's feeling 100% now has been activated from injured reserve should be in the lineup against Toronto that's a big boost for the hurricanes yep. and obviously Jordan Stahl whenever he's healthy he did not practice today but he was around at, Which, at Raleigh Center by the way from distance from distance Jacob Slavin on the ice kind of looks like Jordan Stahl yeah a little bit yeah got the beard going cuz i looked down i looked up and somebody was in the Middle of the ice on the power plant. I'm like, did I miss Jordan Stahl playing? Because normally I see the guys walk on. Did yeah. I miss that? Was that just the green pants? Were we all enamored with that? As the Canes wore that at practice today, getting ready for Hartford Whalers night on December 23rd against the Boston Bruins. A little bit of a Christmas look today. Yeah, it did. It, uh, festive, it did. very festive. festive. Why not? Tis the season, Mike. Tis the season. Uh, again, it is episode 69 of Canes cast. Nice. So, and I don't think, uh, yeah, going back to that interview with Clark Bishop. I don't think uh, it was ever determined uh, what happened with that door. All I know is there was a hole and a shattered door and a puck. There was clearly a shot that bounced look, off look, a crossbar or a post. Or look, there are things, Michael, where if we see it as a reporter, we report. But if we're in that locker room, we're not saying who did it. What's going on over there? Uh, there was phone. Well, phone my phone call. was my phone was ringing. We've had two phone calls. In I know this, uh, this is podcast. We're, we're high in demand. High here. in demand. Uh, can we do one more thing on the Clark Bishop goal? Yeah, I I, I don't want to rant. I really don't. Well, I think I don't want. We we discussed it today. No, <laughs> there's more. I, to I it. can see you need to get something off your chest. This bothers me. 
But I think we you can get it off your chest, and then we can discuss it. Fine. And I think you discussed it with John Forslund, too. Fine. I, I did. I did. Who was great on the last podcast, by the way. If you haven't listened to that podcast in its entirety, be sure to go back and listen to when we had John Forslund on late in the show. He told uh, a phenomenal story. Back from his Springfield AHL days as the play-by-play voice in a playoff series against Sherbrooke. This, however, if there's a playoff series and a goal is scored that is somewhat controversial, I don't think there was much controversy to the Clark Bishop goal. There was just confusion, I would Confusion, say. yes. I, I do not wish to, and at any point in time, the Webb's Michael Smith, stop me if I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here. I like replay, and I like the fact that there is a component to a game where if something is wrong, it can be proven correct, or it can be overturned is actually the better term. What I hate about replay is it takes – Five minutes to point out the obvious. If we can see it right away, and the guys in Toronto last year, I went into the situation room, and believe me, they don't have an easy job. They got a bunch of guys, and and I, I really, truly have empathy for the job they have to do because they're looking at all of the rule books, and I, I know that you might have noticed this. A lot of people out there think they know exactly what's going on, and they have no clue, so they'll just pop off and say things like, hey, this guy, uh, that's a violation of this rule. Actually, no, it's not. It's not in violation of any rule. Or when somebody has got to go here, that means they'll never be able to come back. No, that has nothing to do with it. It's argued with contracts and whatever. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Uh, Well, for some. (laughs) Or hell. Take your pick. (laughs) That being put on the table, the Clark Bishop goal – My main problem with this goal and the replay from it is not that it wasn't declared a goal on the ice and then it was. No, that's why we have replay to go and say, look, Clark Bishop, congratulations. You got your first NHL goal. Our bad for missing it because we thought the net came off of the moorings or whatever you want to call it now. But uh, I'll go old days and go with that. We, We thought that that's why, but clearly it's a goal. They review it, and it took a while to review. And maybe yes, that was my only qualm. But I know where you're going with this. Maybe, maybe that's why I'm a little perturbed because I'm in the Zam the Zamboni entrance in Anaheim, standing in about an inch and a half of water. You know, fans are talking to me. Very nice people. Freezing, by the way. It is a every cold single building. rink that we went, to, and I think that's why I'm sick. It was so cold in every rink we went to. You're up in the press box. I'm actually standing it, in water yes. doing this stuff. Yeah. So anyway. I was guzzling coffee in San Jose, and then I couldn't sleep on the plane. Well, sorry. Wow, that's a first for because you. I was so sick. anyway, this is back to the oh, rant. Yeah, sorry. God, good sidebar. you off track. But the problem is not that it took forever to get the call right. It was they got the call right and then skated over to Randy Carlisle, head coach of the Ducks, and go, well, if you'd like to challenge it for goaltender interference, why weren't they looking for goaltender interference in the first place? And that would just simply have done this if there was. If there's goaltender interference and you've got 90 sets of eyes looking at it, including the referees on the ice with their little iPad or Surface Pro or whatever it is they use, I I don't want to get the sponsors wrong. That's really for you. Fine. Generic tablet. Fine. Generic tablet made by Michael Smith. Great. You could easily just say, no goal because we reviewed it and found there was interference, goaltender interference on Clark Bishop. So no goal. We wave it off. Instead, a two-and-a-half or three-minute review then gets reviewed again for two minutes because Randy Carlisle is given the option to challenge it. Just skate over and say, 
There was no goaltender interference. It's a good goal. But John Forslund explained it to me. You have to give the coach the option if there is contact with a goalie Correct. to challenge it or not. Yeah. And but they, they looked at it for two and a half minutes. But in that instance, they're not looking for goaltender interference. Why because, not? Because that's not something officials review. That's only reviewable in, in the sense of a coach's challenge. So I get where you're coming from, but that's a rule book issue rather than – Hence my problem with this. But then – but then they spent five minutes looking at the same play, Michael. Yeah, I mean, my only uh, my only problem with it is that it took too long. But they're not looking for goaltender interference because that's not that's not a a play that officials review. They either call it or they don't on the ice, and then it's up to the coaches to to challenge for goaltender interference. Great, but they knew it was a goal, and they'd already been looking at it. And at some point in your mind, don't you be like? Uh, is that interference? Well, I'm gonna keep that in my back pocket. That's that's more on that. Randy Carlisle and his coaching staff. Oh, I I know, but it's just because to me, they they had just as long to look at it, and they should have determined that uh, it's it's not clearly not goaltender interference. We're not gonna challenge. We're gonna hold on to that and our timeout. They chose to challenge and and lost both that yeah. and the timeout. Oh, good. They deserve it. So, but that's more on them. But no, my my problem then goes to the league. Is if you're reviewing the goal. Review every part of the goal. Review then, if there is any kind of interference. That's part of a goal. It's part of the call of a goal, but then especially the argument, when there was contact. The argument from Rod Brindamore and the Canes would be, well, that should be a coach's challenge. That shouldn't be on you to determine whether there was goaltender interference or not. But they're the refs. They determine it in real time. Well, but on, in real time, they said no goal. So they're going back and looking at, is it a goal? And, and to do so, they're just looking for the puck crossing the line. They're not looking for anything else. But my vehement yeah, I see. objection yeah. to all of that rationale is you're already looking for it. You're looking for it to be, is it a goal or is it not? So then you should be well, looking. Well, they're not going to go back and look at – they didn't reverse the play and look at offsides. That has to be, again, initiated by a coach's challenge. So it's the same thing with goaltender interference. That has to be initiated you know by what? a coach's challenge. If they told us that they went back and looked at it was offsides, at least I could live with it being three minutes of Maybe looking at Maybe that's why it was. Seriously. <laughs> like, it was, that's it what was, I could live took, with. It took a lot longer because really all it took was you, you needed the, the overhead angle. You saw the puck in the net, the, the net on its pegs. Yep. No kicking, no kicking motion right. from Clark Bishop. Which it's is a goal. the only other thing I can think that they were looking at, but there's clearly not. I mean, he's sliding on the ice. Momentum, gravity, physics, science. I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm just asking, do you get where my I, aggravation yeah. comes from for that? But I'm just saying they, they're just following the letter of the I law. I get it, but the letter of the law is dumb. Laws can be changed. Yes, they can. But then, but then I think if 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 goaltender interference becomes an official, it becomes reviewable by, by officials, then the coach's challenge becomes null. All right, so, and maybe that's what you want. I, so, I mean, I don't, I don't know. So, and, and stop me if this wouldn't happen. So, say the call does get overturned for goaltender interference. Could Rod Brindamore then challenge that it wasn't goaltender interference after they looked at it? I don't think. Well. So, so we saying, would be sitting there for seven minutes looking at the same thing. You're saying if, if, if Randy Carlisle challenges and, and wins the challenge, and so then the overturn call is overturned again, no, there can't be like a, a dual challenge. Yeah, no, I just it's, <laughs> it was just infuriating to me. And, and if, you know, you feel bad for Clark Bishop because you want him to celebrate the goal, yeah. and then he's got to sit there and again. And squirted by water, with yeah. water.
Not by water. He wasn't squirted by no, water. No, water didn't squirt him. Warren Fogel, Warren Fogel squirted, him squirted him with, him with water. water. It Getting is episode. My prepositions all confused. Don't worry. It is episode sixty-nine. Nice of the Canes cast. The fact we made it here is insanity to all it's of impressive. us. Impressive. But I just wanted it. I just that drove me crazy. It took too long, but they did it right, and they got the call right. Yes, they did. So, and I I get all of the components. I'm I'm not arguing. That that is what needs to be done. I am just saying now needs to be done differently. I mean, honestly, forward. they should. They, they, it really falls on Randy Carlisle for, for you know for I get it for doing that. But. but if you're gonna take that long looking at a goal, look at all aspects of it, and then skate over but and see. That's them. unfair to the Hurricanes. I think. Why? Because then the 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 Ducks don't have to utilize the challenge. They don't have the threat of either being penalized on an offside review or losing their timeout and their challenge on a goaltender interference review. So it's a, it's not fair to to basically initiate a coach's challenge. The, the refs can't initiate a coach's challenge by themselves. Understand, but I so. don't want a coach's challenge. I just want the call to be right, which they looked at for a obscene amount of time, and then we had to have them look at it again. You mean at no point in time did anybody sit there to think – should we look and see if there's interference on this play too in case there's a challenge so but this way can. we don't take five minutes to look at it? They're, that's what they're not looking for, though. They're looking to make sure – they're looking to see if it's Then why goal. did it take three minutes to I, determine that? That I don't know. <laughs> so, again, I just want to know what you're looking at. Yeah. What are well, you looking at? That's uh, – more communication, I will say, would be nice sometimes. Like, if uh, a certain call is made, like, just some communication on, on why it was made. I think we can all agree on that. Yes. But again, if you're going to waste that much time, tell me that you were looking at all aspects. And let me, to wit, your that's not fair to the Hurricanes. You know what the Carolina Hurricanes would take? A good goal. Yes, and they got so, one. No, but what I'm saying is a good goal, and then Randy Carlisle can't shoot himself in the foot with his coaching staff well, by going for the challenge. No, but what I'm saying <laughs> is I don't think that Rod Brindamore and the coaching staff is going to be that upset that the goal is good and Randy Carlisle doesn't get the chance to do something that would cost him his timeout. Right. but That's all I'm saying yeah. with that. I'll take the goal every day. You can keep your timeout. Yeah. Didn't mean to get – there's it, just so many experts out there on things, and you have it right there to correct in three to – Three to five minutes. And this isn't a like it, keep it, but I really think that there should be a cap on how long it takes to review a play now. Yeah, I mean, if you can't see it in the first uh, – honestly, if you can't determine within the first 60 seconds, then you can't expect the call to be made properly in real time anyway. Yep. So whatever the real-time call was is probably just whatever you should go with. And I know that seems arbitrary, 60 yeah. seconds or whatever, but if you're having to – Zapruder, you know, let's really slow it down to like try to determine the correct call. Then the correct call, it's not really going to matter what happened live. Understood. By the way, I'd say between 90 seconds and two minutes. Oh, they're testing out Ooh. some stuff here. Just in time for us to get out of here. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is a good, uh, good reason for us to say adios. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll be back. Oh, let's check the schedule here and make sure. We can come to you on Monday. Yes. Yeah, why uh, wouldn't we? The Hurricanes will be in the middle of a one, two, three, four, five game homestand. Washington, Arizona, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Boston. Some really good matchups in there. Uh, some really good uh, things happening at PNC Arena. The toy drive happening this week. 
Uh, you've got Whalers Night on the 23rd. You've got Pittsburgh coming to town uh, right around the holidays there. Should be great atmosphere here at PNC Arena. Um, so if you don't have tickets here before the holidays, make sure you get them. Uh, the Hurricanes go on the road after that three-day Christmas break, and we'll be back here for a New Year's Eve matchup against the Philadelphia Flyers. So uh, we'll come at you next week. Yeah, uh, December 17th. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have four games to talk about. Yeah, we will. In which the Carolina Hurricanes can go from where they stand right now, which is one point out of a playoff spot, depending on how you're looking it's, at the standings. It's pretty wild how – tight the metropolitan division still is i i really thought it would there's some separation would start to form by now but nope. there there nope. really hasn't Not gonna been. happen it, it is going to happen but it hasn't happened yet by the way if the hurricanes win all four games and washington columbus the islanders and the rangers win zero games by next monday the carolina hurricanes could be in first place in the metro division well, there you go let that sink in that's how that's how tight things are right now the the division's gonna their separation will happen though. And so the Hurricanes Will it? Uh, I think so. I, eventually you're gonna have three teams figure it out. This is one of these these things where I'm gonna learn from putting the hand on the stove one too many times. Remember last year? Uh Vegas was gonna come back down to earth. Now yeah. uh, Vegas, don't worry. The Golden Knights will come back down to earth. Or oh, this team will figure it out. This team's gonna they'll make their playoff push and they never do. I'm honestly going to say the way the NHL is set up this year, and in particular the Metro Division, you can say that water finds its level. I think maybe one team will pull away, maybe two. Well, and it looks, the way the standings are right now, it looks like the Atlantic might snag up both wild card spots, potentially. 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 They're, potentially. they're, they're the I, stronger division at this point in time. I'm not a big believer in one of the teams that the Hurricanes are going to see this week. It's not to... Not Toronto. Okay. It's the other team from Canada. Washington. Oh. From Canada. <laughs> uh, but in the Metro, I think you'll see two teams maybe pull away. But I think for the rest of the year, it's going to be hard to, to put a piece of paper between teams. That's just how this division is, is stacked up. Especially if uh, the Islanders with their new coach is playing a better brand of hockey. Uh, if Henrik Lundqvist has found the fountain of youth. Pretty sure Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin are good at playing hockey. I think so. So, And then the two teams beneath the Hurricanes in the standings right now, Philadelphia and Jersey. Philly's got a talented roster, although they've got some changes they got to go through. And New Jersey, you know, they've had some struggles, but they're capable of winning games. I mean, They went to the playoffs last year. The Metro, the Metro stacked up against each other is a really, really – any night you can tell me this team's going to win that game. Seriously. Other divisions, not so much. But if you want to tell me that New Jersey's beating Washington tomorrow night, if they're playing, I can buy that. Uh, you want to tell me that the Hurricanes are going to go into Columbus and beat Columbus, I'll buy it because I've seen it. So yep. that's just, I think, how the division stacks up. We didn't even talk about Seattle. Maybe we'll save that for next week. We'll save it for next week. That's we'll the save tease it for next for week. Next week. Uh, everybody's already freaking out over the expansion draft. Why don't we just let that happen? Yeah, uh, pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah, just let it happen. It's what, three – Two. Three, two years away. Yeah. The 21-22 season they'll be playing. So it's 18-19, So two seasons beyond yeah, this so, season. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to so be So after this. But we'll discuss because I think it's exciting. I think it's awesome. Yeah. One, I like that it brings balance. 
to oh, the force. Oh, God, yes. I'm all for bringing balance to the force. Yes. You're going to keep that? and the dark. Got to have them both. Yeah. So that's good. Is there anything else that we might have missed that we'll carry over as a tease to next week's Kane's cast? Uh, Seattle's the only one that I can think of. Okay. Works for me. We'll have that in four games to talk about and uh, potentially uh, an interview with somebody. Well, And also because it's near the holidays, we will uh, be in a, a giving mood, or at least you can be in a giving mood. Give Michael Smith a like it, keep it. Oh, and yeah. we'll probably have some Twitter questions, not exactly tweet mail. That's Michael's domain on Wednesday at carolinahurricanes.com. Yeah, we'll be back on that this Wednesday. Didn't get to it last week, obviously, with the game day in San Jose. but Slacker. But that'll be uh, that'll be returning this week. So uh, get your questions in. I'll I'll ask for them soon enough. I All should right. probably ask for them now. Actually, you should ask for them now. Yeah. Okay. Just as your just as your lawyer, I'd advise and you to do I'm that. I'm thinking about it now. So we also didn't talk about food. We'll save that for next podcast too. Yeah. This one, Bill can listen to. Bill Berniston can listen to it all the way through. All the way through. There was no. Yeah, there was some good. Very light on the food this week. There was some, but there was some good food. There was to be had on the West Coast. But maybe we'll talk about it more next week. And we've got a Montreal food trip to talk to as well. Yes, we do. All right. That'll do it for episode 69 of the Canes cast. Nice. For the web's Michael Smith. And TV's Mike Maniscalco. We'll talk to you next Monday. We really will. Bye-bye. Thank you.